Okay, please take your seats. It is fantastic to see you chatting with everybody. Please stop encouraging each other now. Fantastic. It's great to uh, it's great to uh, see everybody this morning. So, um, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to Ephesians chapter two. Um, I didn't know what David was going to share when he first got up and shared this morning about peace, but we're going to be looking at that kind of today. And um, as today is like the last Sunday of the first year of saints, uh, I had a question for you, and my question this morning was two parts. The first part was, what is your hope for the future, and what is your peace based upon? So what is your hope for the future? If things go a little bit awry... Um, what is your hope based on? What is your assurance and where does it come from? So that's what we're going to look at today and we're going to do it a little bit differently as I'll explain in a few moments. But we're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2 starting at verse uh, uh, 11. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth were called the uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcised. They underwent physical circumcision done by human hands. At that time, you were without the Messiah. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and were in the world without God. But now, in union with the Messiah Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah. For it is he who is our peace. Through his mortality, he made both groups one by tearing down the wall of hostility that divided them. He rendered the law inoperative along with its commandments and regulations, thus creating in himself one new humanity from the two, thereby making peace and reconciling both groups to God in one body through the cross, on which he eliminated the hostility. He came and proclaimed Peace to you who were far away. For those who were near, for him or through him, both of useful have access, both of us have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So there's, there's something going on in this passage and there's a connection. There's, there's a key to this whole thing. Um, this afternoon, some of us... We'll be going sailing, and, uh, and this time we're not doing it in individual boats, we're going as couples. Unfortunately, Lynn will not be with me in my boat because she doesn't trust me. And uh, when I asked Lynn why she doesn't trust me, she harks back to an incident decades ago, which is when I convinced her we should go horse riding. Uh, so we've never been horse riding before. I told her, we'll both be fine. We got on these horses, 
They had a lady who could like hold on to Lynn's horse because she was nervous. They took us through the forest. And as we went through a forest, a lumberjack chopped down a tree. A tree fell in front of our horses. Our horses reared up and bolted like screaming lightning. The lady fell over. She left the horses and we shot through this forest. Eventually, we came out of the forest. And we went down these, uh, you've seen them on TV, these little English country roads. They're all blind. You have no idea if the car's coming around. And we're flying down these roads. And uh, Lynn's screaming. I started screaming, and then I started to enjoy it, to be honest with you. Well, that's actually quite good. I'm like, it's okay, then. It's actually quite fun. Just go with it. I'm not going to go with it. I'm not going to go with it. She's screaming, and then suddenly she stopped. She stopped. I couldn't hear anymore. I looked back, and she'd fallen off into some bramble bushes. So me, what I thought was quite heroic, I, I jumped off my horse as it's hurtling along, bang around a little bit, get up, run up to her, give her a great big hug, and she hits me. Well, she didn't really hit me. That's maybe a little bit dramatic. But she pushed me away. I don't want to talk to you. You made me do this, blah, 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 blah. We had to go to hospital, cuts and bluses. And um, I don't often tell that story because it, it lacks one vital ingredient. The vital ingredient that would make that a really good story was if Lynn's horse was called Thunder or Lightning and mine was Satan or Lucifer. I can make like a really dramatic story. Unfortunately, my horse was called Mayflower and Lynn's horse was called Rodney which kind of destroys, in my mind, the whole thing. And, and what we're talking about today is this, is this sense of identity. Our peace comes from our identity, and identity shapes the story. Identity shapes your story. So in this story that we're being told here, in this passage of Scripture, let me highlight where we were. We were excluded from citizenship in Israel. We were strangers to his promises. We were in the world without God. That's where we were. Now, however, we've become no longer foreigners and aliens, members of God's household, and we're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives in us. So what's made the difference? What's made the difference? Well, Philippians 3 verse 20 says this. Our citizenship, however, is in heaven. It is from there that we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. We, or many of us in this room, have become citizens of heaven. For many of you, you are dual citizens. You are citizens of the USA, and you are citizens of heaven. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I feel like I can explain the difference now because of what we've been through and the story we've been through, Lynn and I, and our family. So what I want to do today, a little bit different from normal, is um, something I did a while back in, in May. I want to tell you a long story, not that long, don't worry, but I want to tell you a story, and I want to explain what we learned from that story. Uh, many years ago, a lady um, came up to me and said, Paul, why do you, she, she hid a criticism in the form of a question. You ever done that? I'm sure you've not. She came up to me and said, what, why do you always tell stories about yourself? Because it's true. Have you noticed how much I like to talk about myself? I'm fascinating in my opinion. <laughs> but the reality is because this means something to me. This is my story. Next week, we're going to invite many of you guys out to share your story. Because I want to hear about some inspirational guy who climbed Everest, unless you did it. I want to hear your stories. I want to know what your story is, because every one of us has a story to tell. So, as you can tell, and as you know, we're immigrants. So, we, we've emigrated from the UK, and we've been through this whole process. And the amount of things I've learned from that has been incredible, really. And I want to just share some of those things. I hope and I pray uh, these things will help you. Um, so, um, 
It starts with why we came here. I'll just explain that because a couple of you asked why we ever came to in the States in the first place. What happened was we were doing something in the UK and essentially there was a church in uh, Fort Worth that was trying to reach its community but struggling to do it, particularly with young people. And so they said, hey, would you come over uh, and will you come over from the UK and will you help us to reach our community in a way that we've not learned how to do as yet? And in doing that, we'll give you a platform to help reach the world. So Lynn and I came um, a little bit kicking and, and struggling. In fact, um, they paid quite a lot of money for our like um, lawyers. And so in the contract, they because they realized we didn't, I'm a bit funny, I wasn't really keen to come, but at the same time I realized the benefit, but they could tell. So they put in my contract that if I left within two years, I had to pay back all the immigration fees, which kind of made sense, I suppose. So, so we came, and we, but what happened was God had given us a, a really clear word, and in fact, several times spoken to us about this. What I didn't know was God was giving people overhear words kind of like the same week and the same period of time, which I'll, I'll talk about a little bit later. So we, we came over. We had some weird things happen. Um, I came to visit. We, I used to visit America because we had some teams in East Texas. And I remember walking through a, walking through a bookshop, and there was a book on the uh, bookshelf, and it said, Making Room for Life. And it was like how to find peace, how to make space in your life. Well, the, the, the church we were involved in was super busy back in the UK. And I thought that'd be really good to preach on. So I, I got hold of the book and did some teaching on it. It was by a guy called Randy Frazee. Well, about three weeks after I'd preached the sermon, I get a phone call from Randy Frazee. I'm like, this is weird. Because on the back of the book, it said, oh, told about how this, this church connected with its community. And I thought, oh, that sounds good. I should go there one day. About three weeks later, I'm getting a phone call from this guy who'd been in Vancouver, heard about what we did, met somebody from our organization and wanted to speak to me, and then through a long story made sure we came over. So we came over, and we'll talk about this later, for purposes, all of us have a purpose, we came with a purpose, and then things got really weird. So um, here are five things I've learned about citizenship. First, without citizenship, we're separated from our family. It says this, at that time you were without the Messiah, excluded from citizenship in Israel. It's a horrible thing to be excluded. Uh, I came in this morning, it was really weird, I walked through that door, I thought I'll wear my plaid shirt today. It's a nice shirt isn't it? Thank you. I walked in, everybody in the room had a plaid shirt on, all like David did, John did, Lena did, it was really really weird. So if you've got a plaid shirt, you're in fashion today. It's kind of, it was kind of cool to feel part of something, you know, it's kind of in that little way. So what happened was um, after we'd been here about five, six years, we came on a visa, a religious workers visa. And after a few um, years of being here, we'd bought a house. The boys were going to school. The boys, our boys were 9 and 11 when they came. They were now like older teenagers. And uh, I got a phone call because I was transferring my sponsorship from uh, the church to the organization that we lead. And um, I got a phone call from Canada saying, we've got some problems, can you come to Canada? So I said, well, I, I, you know, I'm just changing sponsorship. It'd be fine, come. So I got on a plane, get there, do a week's ministry, come back. And in Vancouver, you go through immigration in Vancouver. You go through American territory in Vancouver. I get there, and some, for some bizarre reason, um, one of the stewards, the, um, um, what do you call them now, people who are on the plane, who are flight attendants, had taken... Uh, my visa out of my passport. So you, you're supposed to do that when you go to a foreign country, but not Mexico or Canada. 
And I said, I'm not, you're not supposed to do that. I know what I'm doing. And one, they're not supposed to do it anyway. But he took it out. So I come back to immigration. like, where's your visa? I said, well, the, the flight attendant just took it out. He said, he shouldn't do that. I said, I know what I told him. But it made no difference. And so next thing, I'm back in secondary inspection. And cutting a long story short, um, they just didn't believe me, basically, on some of the stuff I said. So next thing I know, they say these dramatic words, we're not allowing you back in the country. And they called American um, like armed guards. And under armed escort, I was not frog-matched, but I was escorted out. I had to go to the restroom. They put me in the restroom. They had to leave the door open. Cause I don't know what they thought I was going to do. But then they took me out, and they transferred me to Canadian police. And the Canadian police asked why I was getting kicked out of America. And they said, well, uh, some technical reason I didn't understand. And then they gave me, um, the, the Canadians looked at this passport and said, well, you're British. She can stay here for up to six months, and then you have to leave. And just gave it me. So I'm there in the airport. I hadn't flown Lynn or, or at that time because I wasn't allowed to. And it was absolutely horrible. The next day um, was just awful. So I want you to imagine you go on a holiday, and you get back, and America says you can't come home. Imagine how that feels to be exiled, to be not a citizen. Because I didn't have citizenship. I'd had no rights. Just imagine what that would feel like. We were like that once. We were like that. We were, and some of us, there may be some in the room, there may be many of you who've got friends or family who are still in that situation. Excluded, we're not citizens of God's people. And it's a horrible, horrible feeling. Because you kind of have nowhere to go. And where does your peace come from? So the second thing I learned is this. That without citizenship, we don't have access to its hope. It says, at that time you were without the Messiah, excluded from citizenship in Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and were in the world without God. So I come out the next day. I'm like, how do I get back to my family? So I thought, I'll phone the expensive lawyer that somebody's paid thousands of dollars to help me. So I phoned the lawyer and the lawyer said, oh, that's a shame. I said, no, you don't understand. This is like going to change my life. I've got like teams of people I employ and da, da, da. Oh, yeah, well. And basically they said to me, here's the only thing we can think you can do. If your family leave to join you, you'll lose everything. So you need to wait until you can reapply again for the visa. And I said, how long that will take? They said, just over 12 months. I said, do you mean I'm not going to see my wife and kids for 12 months? He said, yes, if you want to be back together again in America. It was horrible, absolutely horrible. Imagine that. So you go on holiday on your own. You come back and America doesn't let you back in the country or whatever country you're from, doesn't let you home and you can't be with your kids. It was a horrible, horrible feeling. And I had no hope. That was the worst part of it. The worst part of it was for the next few months, I, I got on a plane, went back to England, and everybody's in England's fine because they're thinking, well, don't worry, you're back home now. And I'm like, no, this isn't my home anymore. So I'm back in England, and it's a horrible feeling because you had no hope. Even the person that's been paid thousands of dollars to help you is telling you, we don't know what to do. We, we can't get you back maybe in a year, and then you don't know if your visa is going to be successful or not. They might want to wonder why you got kicked out in the first place. It was a horrible, horrible feeling. That's where we were. Now, because it was so tangible, 
I was able to understand it and realize it. You know, I could feel it. I could feel the emotion. I cried, I've got to be honest, and I'm English, but I still cried. Um, but, but because uh, the, the kingdom of heaven is invisible, sometimes we don't feel it in the same way. We don't understand exactly where we were. Some of us kind of just take it for granted. Well, I didn't used to go to church, but now I come to church. No, it's much bigger than that. If, you, if you're following Jesus, it's much, much bigger than that. There are eternal circumstances. There's a massive difference. And I was excluded from hope, and we are excluded from hope. And people offered me all sorts of alternatives. So I was going around, people saying things like, well, you're back home now. So for months, I just traveled around the country. I just kept myself busy. I would speak here, speak there. At the same time, calling Lynn. Lynn got a few of our friends, and they met every week. Uh, one night a week to pray, and they would fast for us. Um, but for months, I was just traveling around the UK, and people were saying, well, you could be the pastor here, or you could help us here, or we'd love you to stay. And, maybe. and then they would start saying things like, well, clearly God's closing a door. Clearly God's closing door. Here's what I've learned, slight aside message. If you allow God to lead you through circumstances, you'll always be tossed and turned around, and you'll never know where you are. You can't put your hope in circumstances. I would encourage you, if, if you've been a Christian long, a long time and you know the phrase, don't put out fleeces. Because circumstances change all the time. Now, God will honor them. God will give you signs and God will show you those circumstances. And, but, but long term, it's not the most mature way to, to, to follow God. For me, I had to keep asking this question, what will most advance the kingdom of God? That's the question I ask. What will most advance the kingdom of God? And for me, as I looked at it, I could see the benefits of being in the States because you guys are the most generous people on the planet. Did you know that? Like I've been all around the world twice. You guys, Texans, are the most generous people on the planet. And so to base an international ministry, this is the best place in the world to do it. It's, it's easier to be a Christian here than anywhere else in the world. I mean, this is, I mean, I know it's tough sometimes, but it's easier to be a Christian here than anywhere else in the world, trust me. And I thought, that, that's, I'm sure that's God's plan. It was difficult, and it was hard. But here's what I learned next. Without citizenship, we do not have the right to the king's protection. So Paul, if you remember the story, uh, Paul is in a city, and uh, there's a woman who's following Paul around. And every time, she, 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 uh, sorry, the, uh, a woman who's following Paul, and she's making all these statements, and they're true, but they're driving him crazy. You ever had somebody, I've got a guy right now at the moment in another country who's constantly Facebooking me constantly, and uh, I like to respond, but after a while it gets crazy. Anybody have had a stalker before? Anybody have a stalker? No? Okay. Anybody had somebody who's pestering you? Because Lynn says I pester her, so <laughs> some of you must have had people who pester. So he's got someone pestering him, and, uh, and what happens is he, um, he basically casts out this demon from this woman, and this is what happens next. So if you've got Acts chapter 16... Uh, we're just going to read from verse 19. So Paul's doing God's work, casts out a demon from this fortune teller, but she's earning people money through what she does. And we pick it up in Acts 16, verse 19. When her owners, so this woman was obviously a slave, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities who met together in the public square they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are stirring up a lot of trouble in our city. They are Jews and are advocating customs that we are not allowed to accept or practice as Romans. Well, they didn't know something, did they? Saying they're Jews, 
and they're bringing all their, f their foreign ideas. I've had that said to me, oh, don't bring those ideas here. All those foreign, you know, bring those foreign ideas here. And that's what's happening. What they didn't realize was Paul was a Roman citizen. And it says this, so they beat him up, they put him in jail, and then it says this, they, they go to release him the next day. And Acts 16 verse 37 says this, but Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we were Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates. And when they heard that Paul and Silas were both Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They were alarmed. They freaked out because they had just done something highly illegal because they didn't realize their citizenship. Here's the great thing. If you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, you have rights. And you have someone who is looking after you. And the enemy knows what he can and what he cannot do. He has to ask permission. You know, if you think about the story of Job, and whether, whether some people believe that's a parable, some people believe it really happened, wherever the, the principle is the same, what happens in that story is the devil uh, is looking to provoke and, and God uh, allows the devil to do this work in order that God, in order that um, what happens in Job just really honors God and, and it brings the whole thing round. If you're a citizen of heaven, God has got your back. Where's your peace come from? Mine comes from knowing I'm a citizen and knowing that even though I was excluded from hope and even though I was excluded from promises, now all these promises that didn't relate to me now relate to me. Promises that didn't relate to you now relate to you. God has made promises to you. But we have to walk in those promises. We have to believe in those promises. We have to pray for those things. We have to ask God for those things. We have to ask him to help us. So when I was in, in the, I got kicked out, obviously, and when I'm in the UK, I'm thinking, I'm not having this. I, I believe God's got my back. I believe God wants me in the States. I believe there's something spiritual going on here. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to work. And as much as I could have done, what God did was amazing. So one of the pastors... The, uh, where we had teams, his next door neighbor was the Texas Secretary of State who oversaw border control. And even though she didn't know me, she wrote a letter. And uh, she gave me this letter. And uh, I was able to take this letter and put it in my little pack and send it off to immigration. And uh, within a few weeks, they granted me a visa. It was amazing. But even then, it was pretty difficult. I'll let you, you seem to be reading the letter, so I <laughs> probably shouldn't have put it up all there. Um, so I get back, uh, and um, I remember um, not knowing if I'd be able to get back in the country. I had this letter with me. So I got on the plane, and I got to Dallas, and Lynn and the boys and some of our friends are waiting there, and they're waiting for, I don't know how, how long, it was a long, long time, I think it was hours. And I got off the flight, and I went to the immigration people and they looked at me and they weren't sure. So they sent me back to what's called secondary inspection where you get like a mild form of interrogation. And uh, I remember giving these, this guy all my details and he's, he's looking through it and he's kind of like a bit, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. And he sees this letter and I could tell he was trying to hide, but he went, you could see it jolted him. 
and it, it kind of put it away and stuff. Anyway, I got through and I got time, which was great. So we came back into the country. And then I learned uh, another lesson. What I learned, and I only noticed this today. Have you noticed what her middle name is? I only noticed that today when I got the letter out. Her name is Hope. Here's the fourth thing I noticed. With citizenship, we can become bold. So I wasn't a citizen yet. I was, I was still on the visa, came back, got back in the country, had a few weeks till we had to leave. A few weeks till we had to leave the country. So they gave me enough time to pack up our business, sell our house, and get out of the country. And I thought, I don't think that's God's will. How confident are you that God's got your back? And what's it based on? Is it just based on the feeling or is it based on this knowledge that you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? So I went to a minister's meeting one day and uh, we got to this minister's meeting and um, I had a few weeks to go and this pastor said, we're going to do something we've never done before. He says, we're going to find out if we can pray for any of you as ministers. So we're going to put a chair in the middle of the room. He said, and any of you ministers who feel like church ministers, you feel like you're going to give, you want to give up, you want to give up the church and leave, and you need encouragement, then sit in the chair and we'll pray for you. Well, I immediately thought to myself, no one's going to sit in that chair. Because we're not all friends, nobody knows each other, so nobody's going like, to admit they want to give up and sit in a chair. And nobody did. It was like silent, awkward for about a minute. And I put my hand up and said, well, um, I, uh, I, I don't want to give up, but I might have to give up. Maybe you could pray for me. I told him my story, sat me in a chair. Afterwards, this, this, <laughs> this guy comes up to me and goes, he basically gives out this little busy guy. He goes, this guy can help you. And then walks away. <laughs> I like, was really weird. like, what is he, like a hit, hit man? What is it? So I, I, I go to this guy's address, and uh, my, my guys are paid for this really expensive lawyer. But I go to, <laughs> I go to this, uh, the church are paid for an expensive lawyer, but I go to this address. It's a little downtown Arlington, strip mall, really dirty, stinky carpets, going to this cluttered room, really smelly, and there's this, this guy, this Nigerian guy who's, who's like a, a, a lawyer, and he says to me, um, you're in trouble, so <laughs> tell me about it. He said, let me look at your details, because I've been told I couldn't apply for, for uh, residency. He said, uh, you're in trouble. He said, what about your wife? I said, well, she's not really completely employed and stuff. He said, well, here's what we can do. He said, you've got six days till the law changes. Six days till the law changes. He said, if you can get your entire application for, for permanent residency in in the next six days, which is a bit of a miracle, and then they have to, you can stay in the country till they decide no. They're probably going to say no, but it will give you almost two years because normally it takes between one and two years. He said, okay, we'll do that. So me and Lynn went crazy for about six weeks, just getting all, uh, six days getting all that information together and put it in and sent it off. And he said, I've got the receipt, you're okay, you're going to be in for a few months now. He said, in 90 days, he said, 90 days you'll get a notification saying you can travel and you can work, but for the next three months you can't earn anything. So that was a whole challenge in itself. Uh, for 90 days you can't earn anything, but in 90 days you will be able to earn something while they figure out the process. Take about a year to two years, he said to me. I said, okay. And then he says, um, 90 days go by. He said, have you got your travel permit? I said, no. So it'll, it'll be coming. So 91 days when I, I'm panicking. I, I, hey, I've got a problem. The travel permit. He said, oh, that, that doesn't look good. He said, let me just, I'll have to, he said, we'll have to find out what's going on. I'll phone up. Phones me back about 20 minutes later. He said, Paul, he said, I've never heard this before. They've just granted you permanent residency. 90 days later, it was amazing. He said, I've never heard that uh, ever before in such a short space of time. 
and we became permanent residents. And then not long later, um, not only am I British, but I'm also American, which is kind of cool. So we were really pleased about what God did. And the reason I'm sharing this story uh, with you is because we have to understand that we can become bold. It says, but now in union with the Messiah, Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah, for it is he who is our peace. So I'm pretty sure God's speaking to us this morning because I didn't know that David was going to get up and talk about peace. And as David said, maybe some of us are struggling with this. And maybe it's partly because we don't feel like it. Maybe circumstances are not making us feel very peaceful. And maybe they won't. And you can't rely on them. Because sometimes you're going to go through hell. Sometimes you're going to go through some really difficult times. So what can you rely on? What God says about you. He says about you, you are a citizen of heaven and I've got your back. You are a citizen of heaven. You can be bold and you can, even in the most difficult times, you can have peace. The question is, do you believe in it? Have you stepped into it? Do you claim these promises for yourself? Do you believe that you can do all things? You're a dual citizen. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven if you're a follower of Christ and you're a citizen of the US or I think there's people who are citizens of Canada and I'm a tri-citizen. And lastly, or nearly lastly, uh, with citizenship, we can discover its purpose. So Paul had citizenship of Rome for a divine reason. So on another occasion, Paul gets whipped or he's about to be whipped. And this is what happens. I'm just going to read this to you just, just for sake of time. It says, Paul asked the centurion who was standing there, is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't been condemned? This is a different time. When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and told him, what are you doing? This man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune went and asked Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, he said. Then the tribune replied, I paid a lot of money for my citizenship. Paul said, yeah, but I was born a citizen. Immediately, those who were about to examine him stepped back, and the tribune was afraid when he found out that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had tied him up. Eventually, Paul's citizen, I don't know what happened, but God knew that Paul needed to be born a citizen because Paul then, because he was a citizen, was able to be uh, tried by a higher level of people. He gets tried by the governor, and eventually he appeals to Caesar, and he's taken to Caesar. Now, there's no record in the Bible of Paul, of the account of Paul speaking to Caesar, but there's lots of evidence to say that he did. He even knew, it seems, he even became friends with Caesar's household. So Paul, because of his citizenship, gets a really high level, and he's able to speak to kings, able to speak to emperors, able to speak in incredible, powerful places. And so the question this morning for us might be, what is the purpose behind your citizenship? God loves you, but what purpose is there behind you being a citizen? What does God have in store for you? Have you ever thought about all that God did to bring you into his kingdom? Have you ever thought about the people he sent across your path? Have you ever thought about the circumstances that he maneuvered so you would hear the gospel. Maybe the family, because of the family you're born into. 
Many of you, you weren't born into families that believed in Buddha. You weren't born into families that were atheists. But I was, but you weren't. For some of you, God, God loved you and God had a purpose and you were born in a family that already believed in Christ. How wonderful is that? How fantastic is that? What's the purpose behind that? So often you hear people say, don't you? You've probably heard this said before. People will say sometimes, you know, they'll tell you the story of how God got them the house that they live in. I've heard you guys say that story. I've got stories of, hey, how God manipulated things. I really believe God wanted us in Viridian. And I can tell you the stories of why, of, of how I believe that. But the next question is, well, why did he want you here? I'm sure it was to bless you, but I'm sure there's a bigger purpose than that. Why has God, God sent certain people? Uh, I could tell you so many stories from my life, and I want to hear your stories at some point. What did God, what, what got moved around so you could become a citizen of heaven? I was given citizenship for a divine purpose also. So uh, in the UK, I think I've told you this, in the UK, um, somebody came up to me as I was praying about whether we should come to America and said, hey, um, God says, take uh, a flower, choose your favorite flower, and plant it in a place where it would not normally flourish. So my favorite flower was the organization we lead. Plant it in a place it wouldn't normally flourish. Most people say skills work can't work in this. One of the staff members of the church got a totally different um, a word. And her word went like this. She said, I saw a large rectangular section of land being flown in the air by two helicopters. Wires stretched from the front two corners of the land up to one helicopter. And wire was stretched from the back two corners of the land to the other helicopter. This is how the land was being flown. I was able to see the layers of the land, green grass on top. The area where it went down into was dirt. There was a layer of dirt and then the roots hanging down below the dirt. The piece of land was flying towards me. Then it disappeared. I asked God, what was it about? And I felt like he told me it's about a ministry. As I was praying, God reminded me about the vision he'd given me. Then he took me to Isaiah 46, 11, which reminded me and told me, from the east I've summoned a bird of prey, from a far off land a man to fulfill my purposes. Why I've said that I will bring about, why I've planned that I will do. So she felt God was bringing someone. And it was like, whoa, that was really encouraging for me. What about you? Um, the reason I, I wrote, some, I read some out last week and I read some out this week is because when God gives me promises, I get them written down. I say to people, hey, write that down and send it to me. And maybe people have said things to you and maybe a good thing would be to contact them and say, hey, we can you write that down and send it to me? Send it to me. I, I want to keep hold of that. Because when things are tough and when I feel like I'm losing my peace, I just need to be reminded it's not about feelings it's not even about circumstances. It's about the promises that God has made. And God has made us some tremendous promises. You've been given divine citizenship for a divine purpose. We just have to discover what it is. Now, to be a citizen of the kingdom, you have to be invited. So here's, this is a bit cheeky for me to say this. Here's, <laughs> I'm going to get told off afterwards. Here's the difference between most of you and me. You were born in America Somebody had to pay money for me to become American. In other words, America had to have you, but they chose me. <laughs> okay, that was a joke, okay, but. <laughs> but there is a point to that. Uh, I was invited, I was invited to come to America, and eventually I, was, I applied, but I was essentially invited to come to America in the first place. God invites you. God has invited you. God has chosen you, and there's a purpose behind it. 
God has placed you in this community. There is a purpose behind that. And God won't force himself. In fact, everything God's ever done in you, he did because at some point you invited him to do it. Now, you may have gone through tough circumstances that he allowed. You may or may not believe that. I do. But everything he does in you, he won't force. He invites you. So my question is this. What are you inviting him to do next? Um, I remember being in that citizenship day. I remember the day we went and became citizens and we, we said certain things and made certain pledges uh, and we made an oath. We made a promise. Have you made that promise? Have you made that oath? Is there a day you can look back on and say, that was a day I promised God I would follow him? Is that, can you look back and say, that was the day I followed? Do you have that security? Do you have that security? You are a member of the kingdom of heaven. Not just a member, you are a citizen. And you're being built up, built up. God is building you and placing you somewhere for a reason. Let me finish with this last verse. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You've been invited. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. There's a purpose behind it and there's an assurance as well. Not based on feelings, not based on circumstances, based on the promise that God gave you. And for me, it's an exciting thing to be part of this with you guys. And it's exciting uh, to see what's going to happen this next year as we already look back over this year. And I'm looking forward to hearing some amazing stories from you guys. It's going to be good, I think. Let's pray. Well, we're going to pray, and then David's going to come and just uh, lead us, and Ryan's going to come up as well. So if you can come up, Ryan, that would be great. I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to hand over to David. Lord, I just um, pray for each and every one of us. You will just um, speak to us now as we just uh, continue to worship, continue to teach us, continue to lead us. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen.